Jesus said, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Now when we really feel something deep inside of our hearts, it's going to burst forth in our behavior. What, what that scripture is saying is, what's happening inside of here, it's going to come out in our actions. Whether that's good or whether that's bad, whether that's positive or whether that's negative, usually the clearest indication of what is going on deep down inside of a person is how they talk. You just stop and listen to someone talk. What's their speech? What are they saying? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it demeaning? Is it encouraging? The most reliable expression of who a person is, is their speech. Someone said the mouth is the billboard of the heart. Stop and think on that for a second. What's your billboard been saying lately? What billboard you've been putting out there? Sometimes that's good. See, if the heart is filled with the Holy Spirit and compassion, it will be evident by the words of encouragement and, and how you inspire and how you care about other people. Sometimes it's bad. If the heart is filled with bitterness and hatred, then that will spew over into profanity and threats. And so our hearts are so important. And the point is this, there's a direct correlation between the internal thoughts of the heart and the external behavior of an individual. King Solomon said, a man, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, what's going on, on the inside, that's what's going to come out. And today we're going to talk about the hands of a leader the hands represent behavior, and our heart and our head, when they're in alignment, our change to behavior occur. We've already preached about and talked over the last two weeks about our heart and about our head, but one way to measure if our heart and our head is aligned with God is just to stop and look at our own personal behavior. To stop and evaluate and go, is my behavior showing and demonstrating the behavior of Jesus Christ? Leading like Jesus is not a theory. It's a lifestyle to be practiced in all of life, every day of the week. And Jesus demonstrated how a leader should behave in his relationships with other people. That behavior we see in Luke chapter 6, the same chapter when we talked about the heart. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 as we discover today the hands of Jesus. As we look at the hands, in just two areas of his hands, the, Jesus had hands of protection. Let's begin in verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels, some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? The disciples they were actually being scrutinized by the legalist of their day. Why are you doing this right now? It's the Sabbath day. Someone define a legalist as someone who is afraid that someone somewhere is actually enjoying himself. And legalists seem determined to suck the joy out of everyone's life, including their own. 
And that's what Jesus was dealing here right now with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were legalists. They considered themselves kind of the watchdogs of the law. They didn't have much tolerance for anyone who didn't follow their rigid traditions. The Pharisees were offended that Jesus' disciples were picking grain and eating on the Sabbath because they said that is work and you can't do that on the Sabbath day. And they were harvesting and threshing on a holy day. And so the legalists were coming in and saying, hey, we're going to keep you all in line and make sure you're behaving just properly. And Jesus comes to the disciples' defense. We see it in verse 3 when he answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Picture it like this. You've probably been through this experience if you drive a vehicle. Let's say you're driving a vehicle and you drive through that yellow light just as it's turning red in the intersection. And you look over to the right and there's a cop sitting at the stop sign and your heart kind of skips a beat, doesn't it? You're like, oh no, did he get me? And you look in your rearview mirror and then you notice a person behind you follows right on through the light. What do you, what do you think? Whew, they're going to get them and not me. <laughs> Sucker. You've been caught. But what are you going to think, instead of stopping him, the cop comes and stops you? What do we do? Well, wait a minute. What about that guy? And that's exactly what Jesus was pulling on them. See, the policeman pulled you over and said, that guy, you'd be a little upset. You'd be fired up. Wait, that light was kind of yellow. It wasn't completely red. And the cop says, no, as far as I know, it was red. Jesus used that line of reasoning to show the Pharisees how hypocritical and how unfair they were to find fault with his disciples. He's like, your hero David ate consecrated bread from the holy place in the tabernacle because he and his companions were hungry. And you never said a critical word about David, and yet you look at my disciples and you say it's a lot worse that they're picking and eating a little grain on the Sabbath? He's coming to their defense. He's like, quit playing these legalistic games. Jesus' logic was irrefutable, and he defended the disciples against the Pharisees' accusations. See, a compassionate leader just naturally seeks to protect those who he or she loves. And we've been talking about leadership in some different avenues, saying, you're a mom or a dad, you're a leader. Your husband and wife, you're leading. You're influencing people towards walking in Christ, knowing Jesus Christ. You're a manager, you're a leader. You own a business, you're a leader. You're a friend, you have a chance to lead. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love always protects. And so if we really care about people, and when we see that they're being affected or attacked, then we would lovingly protect. And that's what Jesus is doing. His loving hands are coming to action to protect his children, to protect his disciples. See, when he encountered false teaching and immorality in the temple, what did he do? He made a whip of cords and drove out the money changers and released the caged animals. And he explained, my house is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Because he wanted to rise up and protect what was right. Any leader who cares about people will seek to protect them from that which is potentially damaging to their welfare. Maybe it's false teaching that can spread like gangrene. 
You know, I'm not going to put up with that. Well, I'm going to protect that. Maybe it's a flagrant immorality like yeast can contaminate the whole calf. You're like the whole loaf. You're like, no, wait, we're going we're to stop this immorality. Maybe it's a device of spirit within your business or within, within your family and it hurts morale and it needs to be confronted. May, a good leader is perceptive to potential dangers and courageously deals with when they're necessary. A mom and dad who notices that kids are going down the wrong path will stop up and stop and say, wait, we're going to stop right here versus just going, no, let them just learn on their own. Just let them go. I want to be their friend. No, you stop and you say, wait a minute, something's going down the wrong direction right here because you want to lead them because you love them. You want to protect them. Patrick, Patrick Lachoni is a business consultant. He's the author of popular books, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team and The Five Temptations of a CEO. He tells that while consulting one, one business, he discovered the same concern as he was making individual interviews. There was one vice president named Fred who nobody liked who was spreading a rumor that the CEO had selected him as his successor. Lachoni went to the CEO and said, have you tagged Fred to succeed you? He said, no, he couldn't do it. He's not very respected by the staff. Lachoni said, do you know that he's been telling people that you have chosen him as the next CEO? And he responded, he said, yes, I know he's been spreading that rumor. And Lachoni asked, are you going to tell him to stop? The CEO's answer was, I don't have the time or the energy to do that. And Lachoni couldn't get over his response. Think about that. Here's a guy who was creating considerable unrest, division within the organization with untruth. How much time would it have taken to pick up the phone and dial the number and say, hey, Fred, I hear you've been spreading a rumor that you're the next CEO. Let me tell you, you're not the next CEO. And if you don't stop making that kind of uh, rumor, then you're going to lose your job and we'll be moving on. Do you understand me? Okay, goodbye. Have a good day. He could have stopped it immediately for the protection of the organization. Why don't we do that? Why don't we speak up when we see our kids going down the wrong path? Why don't we speak up when we see a friend going in the wrong direction? Why don't we speak up when, our, when we see our husband or wives dangerous themselves? Why don't we speak up in the church when we go, you know what, this could be going in the wrong direction. We better talk about that and make sure we're not going in the wrong direction. Why don't we confront the predators that threaten the flock, so to speak? Why? We say we don't do it because we don't want to upset the person. Why don't, I don't want to make them upset. If, if I go to talk to them, you know, they're really going to get bothered. We don't want to feel, we don't want them to feel bad, so we just let things slide along and let things continue down a path of destruction. The real reason is because we're people pleasers. The real reason is because, well, I don't want my child to get mad at me. I don't want my wife to get mad at me. I don't want my husband to get mad at me. I don't want my employees to be mad at me. I, I don't want to upset somebody, so I'll just kind of let it keep on flowing down while we know it's hurting the organization or hurting the family or hurting those who we have an opportunity to lead or influence in Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says clearly, if you have anything against your brother, go to him personally and tell him his fault. Just between the two of you. Just between the two. In other words, what was Jesus saying? Listen, if there's a challenge, go sit down face to face. And I say, don't use text. Don't use email. Sit down. Hey, can I talk to you about something? I noticed something. And then you process that through. Typically, it's a healthy thing. He says, if he listens to you, you have run your brother over. See, a Christ-like leader's hands have to be the hands of protection. And sometimes that means I've got to confront some situations that are tough in my family or in my work or with my friends or in my marriage or in my 
home. Let's look at verses 6 through 10 and see his hands of healing. On another Sabbath, it's interesting how these things happen on Sabbath days. Almost like the Lord is just saying is legalistic. I've showed you once, I'm going to show you again. Let's not get too legalistic about the Sabbath thing. On another Sabbath, he went to the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Again, they're observing. How can we now get him because he's breaking the laws? Jesus' heart of compassion resulted in a practical assistance to needy people. Jesus noticed this person whose right hand was shriveled up. Now, we don't know because the text doesn't tell us, was he injured at work? We're not sure about that. We don't know, did he have carpal tunnel syndrome? We don't know if it was a birth defect. We don't know what the problem was with the hand, but we know it wasn't working right. And we know it probably severely impacted his life. It made routine difficulties, uh, just normal things, very hard. You ever try to fasten a button or, toe, uh, a button or, or tie, a, tie a tie with just one hand? I had a real live illustration of this yesterday or Friday morning as we were helping out with the team breakfast. And the boys are supposed to wear ties. And no kidding, one of these teenage boys who's a junior shows up with his white button shirt on button, tie around his neck, his letterman jacket on, no t-shirt, just his chest bared. He said, I can't button it. And he had a broken hand. He's like, who will help me? And he's looking for somebody to come and just put the buttons. We, we teased him and razzed him, like figure it out. But you know how hard it is to do that? Think about things of life. You ever try to bait a hook? Pound a nail? I mean, just basic things like tie your shoe with one hand. Imagine that. This guy's ability to make a living was terribly impeded. I mean, people are looking at him and go, your hand, how are you going to do anything? I can't hire you. There's no way. And again, the Pharisees are watching on the fringes to see if Jesus would do something to justify the criticism. And if you try to lead, I've got to tell you, if you try to lead, you try to influence people, not everyone will approve. They won't. And you know that. There will always be some who resent your leadership. There will always be some who will seek to undermine your efforts that complain that you haven't considered all the ramifications or filled out all the appropriate forms and checks or done all the government rules or followed all the agencies or whatever it may be. Maybe they accuse you of being egotistical and self-serving. Eventually they can wear you down and they can discourage you from trying anything new or trying to help anybody. But Jesus ignored the critics. And he sought to help the disabled man. Look at verse 8. But Jesus knew that they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. It's interesting. Jesus is like, look, I'm going to show you all what I can do. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. Completely restored. The hand that was not working, now the fingers are working. The hand that could not button a tie can now button a tie. The hand that could not drive a hammer can now drive a hammer. The hand that could not maybe cook or stir something could now do that. Maybe you remember January 25, 1999. Right here in our state of Kentucky in that other city about 60 miles that way. Over there in Louisville, Kentucky. You remember the situation? The first hand transplant took place. 
It was a big story here in Kentucky, big story in the news. The news story reported that surgeons attached a donor hand, wrist, and portion of a forearm to a 37-year-old man. The patient, Matthew David Scott of Abskin, New Jersey, lost his hand in 1995 because of a firecracker accident. And hospitals said he had been using a prosthetic arm. Newspaper photos of Matthew Scott revealed a man absolutely thrilled to have his new hand. Listen, Jesus restored a hand without any donor, without any rehab. Jesus took a hand that was not working and made it work again. Think of the joy that this miracle brought. Think of what happened to this man when he's healed. Imagine how ecstatic he would have been. Imagine how his life was changed. See, often Jesus touched people to heal them. He touched the untouchable lepers and they were made whole again. He touched the eyes of the blind beggars, and they could see again. He touched the ears of the deaf, and they could hear again. He touched the body of the dead girl, and she rose up again. See, if we want to lead like Jesus, we should be perceptive to that which disables people and limits their potential. Like Jesus, we should seek to bring healing to those who are hurting. Like Jesus, we discard criticism we might receive and overcome the cost of the procedure, so to speak. A Christ-like leader is a healer of hurts and a restorer of souls. And when you're involved in people's lives, rather it be just, you know what, I get a chance to leave at home with my kids. I get a chance to lead or influence my friend. Or you have some high-level position that you serve in. We should be concerned about the hurts and the souls of people. And if we're looking at Jesus, we say, you know what, I get a chance to restore souls and hurts. Jim McGinnis relates the account of American soldier in Italy during World War II. As he walked through the mountains, he came upon a statue of Jesus. The statue was hidden back in some tall weeds. As he approached the statue, he noticed that the hands of Jesus were broken off and they were nowhere to be found. As he sat meditating and looking at that statue that was old and kind of falling apart and the hands are missing, an inspiration came to him and he wrote on a piece of paper and placed it under a rock at the base of the statue and he gave this statue a six-word name, I have no hands but yours. No hands but yours. See, you and I are the hands and the feet of Jesus today. You've heard that terminology before. People need to see us really live out Jesus. We, we get the chance to touch. We get the chance to protect. We get the chance, chance to heal. And you and I are the hands and feet of Jesus today. Susie Snyder understood that a physician with such a keen mind that she is a board certified in both internal medicine and pediatrics. However, Susie doesn't live in a plush suburban home in the States, but in a Spartan mission cabin in Kenya, Africa. Susie and her husband, David, he's a business administrator, have operated a medical mission in Mossy Land for over a decade. In that remote place, they raise their children, minister to the hurting, and try to bring Christ to those who need him so desperately. Susie and David have become the hands and feet of Jesus to those who are in the Mossy Land. Charlie Vittle, he leads a successful dental practice in the U.S. several months out of each year to do medical mission work in Afghanistan. Medical mission work in Afghanistan and other three world, third world countries that are dangerous destinations. 
Charlie's not living safe, comfortable lifestyle that many people who are of his peers, he's a felt the burden and the need of giving a good portion of his life to reaching them and actually going to people and not just sending some money so I need to go. And so Charlie's become the hand and feet of Jesus in Afghanistan. See, doctors and dentists and nurses, they can minister to hurting bodies and bring healing touch. But see, the rest of us, we can aid people emotionally. Emotionally, we can help them out by a touch. We can comfort somebody sometimes just with a, a hand on a shoulder of someone maybe who's wounded or someone who's hurting. Maybe just that hug or just that handshake. One thing that we pray about every, almost every Sunday before we come in here, we pray that as people come into this place, that our eyes would be open for the person who needs a prayer, needs a handshake, needs a laugh, needs a hug. We can do that for each other. But the typical church, we come and sit in our chair, sing a few songs and go home. Every Sunday you have a chance to minister to somebody when they walk in this place. Every single Sunday. Nobody's brought here by accident. Nobody's brought here by accident. But you know, that also carries over to Monday. Carries into Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. That every day when you walk into that place of work, there's someone who probably needs a word of encouragement. There's someone who maybe needs a high five. There's someone maybe who needs you just to listen. And there may be somebody who they share their story with you for you to look back at them and say, I'm not sure if I have the answer, but do you mind if we pray about that? Because you can do some healing right there in the workplace. All of us can do that kind of stuff. It was a short-term mission trip in 1998 when Bob and Kathy Drain fell in love with a two-year-old girl named Ola that Kathy held in her arms. The Drains, they went against all reason, they went against all judgment. Both were in their late 40s and they adopted this young girl and brought her back to America. And Ola was their second daughter. That compassionate outreach then turned into a series of incredible events that led the Drains to institute an adoption pipeline into Ukraine that has, re- has resulted in an organization called Hopeful Hearts. And since 2002, they helped over 400 babies find families. Because they realized that we can be the healing hands and bring hope to children who are hurting. See, if you'd like to lead like Jesus, then we need to lift our eyes up to see the pitiful conditions of people. Let me challenge you with a daring prayer. What if we just started praying, Lord, help me to see this world the way you see it? What if you prayed that prayer? Lord, help me to see people the way you see people. Not the way I see them. In my flesh, I see people, man, they frustrate you, they drive you crazy, get out of my way, you're wasting my time. Right? We all have those kind of thoughts. But if we started praying just rightly, Lord, help me to see people the way you see people. When you see someone who's hurting, you'll respond differently. When you see someone who needs some protection, you'll respond differently. Lord, give me your heart, give me your eyes to see people the way you see people. Find some way to reach out then with the skill that God has given you to minister to them and bring healing to them. See, people follow a leader who brings comfort to the hurting. That's who people follow. I've only touched on two aspects today. Man, I was working on this message, and I was like, this thing has got to be carved down. But when you start looking at at Jesus' healing hands, man, he, he, he mentors people disciples people, 
spends time with people. There's just so many avenues we could have went into. But when you look at protection and healing, it's something all of us can do. Something all of us can do. We can lead just like Jesus through protection and healing as well. I pray, church, that we, as we think about the topic of leadership, that we would see people with the eyes of Jesus and that we would start praying that and we start, Lord, Lord, change my heart and may my actions become like yours where I want to help people be protected and be healed. Now, as I close and prepare for communion, though, I want you to think about one of the areas of his hands. The hands of sacrifice. The hands of sacrifice. See, as the ultimate demonstration of sacrifice, Jesus went to the cross as the ultimate sacrifice. The Roman soldiers drove spikes through the hands. Not little tiny nails, but spikes through his hands as they pinned him to the cross and spikes through his feet. And those same hands that had protected the disciples and healed the hurting are now having spikes driven through his hands. Do we take that too lightly sometimes? Do we forget the impact of what that means? See, Jesus made the supreme sacrifice as a blood poured out from his hands as well as from his forehead, as well as from his back, as well as from his feet, and then from his side for you and me. Because Paul tells us in Romans that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? As we come to this time of communion, we've got to stop and look at the hands of sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice for somebody? You willing to let go of some money? You willing to sacrifice some time? You willing to sacrifice some comfort of home? You willing to sacrifice by maybe going to some foreign lands? You willing to sacrifice by maybe opening up your homes to some children who need a place? You willing to sacrifice by feeding some people? You willing to sacrifice by putting in whatever God's calling you to put in? See, no wonder they followed, uh, no wonder following his resurrection from the dead when Jesus appeared to his astonished followers and we read he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord overjoyed after he rose from the grave and they see the scars in his hands. They said, this is my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus had taught them that the most effective leaders are not arrogant prima donnas demanding that others serve them. See, the most effective long-term leaders are those who humbly stay off the pedestal, get down in the trenches, and use your hands to serve other people. Let's be like Jesus today, church. Bow your heads with me.